Good morning, everyone. It is wonderful to be here with you. I'm so grateful to you, Pastor Kevin, for inviting me, and it's wonderful to be here with you today. I feel like I'm in a place where I have a lot of friends. I know a lot of you and recognize a lot of faces. Do you mind if I lift this up a little? <laughs> a little more. <laughs> All right. Um, so I have a lot of friends here. Not as many friends as your pastor and his wife have, however. They took me out for dinner last night, and we could hardly eat our tacos and our Tex-Mex because every time you turn around, someone is waving from the other side of the restaurant. Someone is coming up for hugs and conversation. So I believe that Veronica and Pastor Kevin know all of the city of Marquette, <laughs> the entire city. <laughs> So I also want to thank you for your faithful support. Um, my first visit to Silver Creek was 14 years ago. And ever since then, we've had a partnership that's been developing year by year since 2006. And so I will echo what Pastor Kevin said. I know that you're building the kingdom here in Marquette, but you are also kingdom builders in Milwaukee. So every time you send a group to minister there, which you've done four or five times to volunteer in our health outreach or our children's ministry or our family Christmas party, which, by the way, is coming up Saturday, December 21st, and it would be awesome to have a group from Silver Creek come uh, to our family Christmas party. Anytime you do any of those things, that's kingdom builders, all right? Every time you give to kingdom builders, you're helping build a kingdom, God's kingdom, in one of the poorest cities in America, and that is Milwaukee. So City on a Hill, for those of you who don't know a lot about us, uh, we began in the year 2000, and we began with a neighborhood event that a national ministry called Convoy of Hope helped us offer in Milwaukee. Um, it's in a central city neighborhood that was troubled. There was a, a hospital that had been abandoned and boarded up, and when you do that, that invites more trouble in an area, and so they came to, to help a little fledgling ministry that had started across the street from this abandoned hospital, and in the year in August of 2000, and they told the group that was uh, recruiting volunteers and planning the event with them, they said, you know, you need a lot of volunteers because you may have 2,000 people show up at this event on a single parking lot. And so they did their best, and their best was awesome. They recruited 1,100 volunteers. And they're like, what are we going to do with 1,100 people, you know? I mean, that's a pretty high ratio, right? And um, they needed every one of them because when the day came, the crowds came, and they were six deep for a mile. There were not two or 3,000 people who came, or four or five or six or seven. 8,000 people showed up that day. And I think it's evidence of the fact that when we move, God moves. And so he brought the people. Four months later, the hospital system uh, was moved to stop trying to sell the buildings and give them to a nonprofit organization. And City on a Hill became that nonprofit organization that they gave to. And we've been there now for 19 years ministering to people. And um, so we, since then, we've repurposed the buildings. There's 150 units of housing there. There are other nonprofits doing work with us. And we have just a whole lot of programs that are serving 2,500 people a year. And so it's an amazing thing that God did there and you're part of every bit of it and next year um, with the support of another national ministry partner someone that I think you're also aware of Chi Alpha we're hoping to launch an exciting new ministry and I'm going to tell you about that a little bit more in a minute but first I want to show you the kind of impact um, that you're having at City on a Hill and I'm going to do that by showing you the video of the life of one young man um, he's his name is Isama and he's 19 years old and as you hear, will hear, he sort of grew up at City on a Hill, and I want you to hear from him directly. So here's the video. Thank you. 
So that's a little of what we're doing at City on a Hill. We reach uh, about 400 children and youth every year, so ISOM is one of them. And he sort of aged out of our programs and then came right back. So he's our first full-time employee at City on a Hill who came out of our youth programs. That's what we've been trying to do. This white lady with white hair needs to leave at some point, and she's going to try to put it in the hands of some young person with, who's black <laughs> and knows the neighborhood better than, than I ever could. Um, and so we're excited about that. He's now a sophomore at UW-Milwaukee, and he's studying elementary education. So this is great. And the little kids at City on a Hill follow him around like he's the Pied Piper. They just love Isama. So um, he's also managed to do something that most of the young people um, that we serve struggle to do, and that is um, to join a church and be actively involved there. It's hard for them to assimilate. Young people who go off to college um, and then join a campus ministry like Chi Alpha or Crew or InterVarsity, one of those kinds of groups, and are able to worship with their peers and have a community where they get discipled, they do well. Young people who stay in Milwaukee often struggle. And um, it's because sometimes the churches don't assimilate them well. They've got a lot of distractions in their lives. They're in tough neighborhoods. Sometimes they're in difficult homes. And so it can be hard for them. And um, for the last year, God's been speaking to me about responding to this need. Um, and he's been speaking in other ways as well. You, some of you have volunteered in our health outreach, and we'll serve 200 people in the span of three hours on a Saturday afternoon. And increasingly, people have been saying to me, is this a church? Where's your church? Are you going to have a church? Can we come to church here? <laughs> and so City on a Hill is a parachurch ministry. We come alongside the church with a capital C. Um, but God has increasingly been leading us to launch a church. So in January, when Chi Alpha comes to Milwaukee and brings 900 students from five states in the region uh, for their annual SALT conference, we're planning to work with them to do sort of a soft launch, not of another parachurch ministry, but of a church. And it's a new church that will meet at City on a Hill, and it's going to meet over dinner, like the first century church did. And the sermon will be a short Jesus story, and then afterwards, people around their tables will talk about it. Um, and you might call it like a dinner church. <laughs> so actually, churches are across the nation are starting up these dinner churches, uh, some of them in rural areas, but most of them in urban neighborhoods where things are congested and people are often separated completely from church, separated sometimes from their families, and really longing for a sense of community, and it's a way to draw people. In our neighborhood, of course, food is also very important because people are often hungry. So please pray with us that God will use this to help us build his kingdom with your support in the city of Milwaukee. We need a church there. All right, so this brings me to um, the subject of my message for you today, and you'll hear a little more about City on a Hill in the midst of it. So I knew that you were preaching a series, you and, and Pastor Ben, on crucial conversations, and it's still October, so I figured I'll just come right along and join you in that series. So this is week four of your series called Crucial Conversations, and I've titled it You and His Still Small Voice. So, and the reason for that is that when I look back on the growth of City on a Hill and um, that ministry over the last 19 years and many of the positive changes in my own life in the last 10 years, I realize I owe it all to his still small voice. 
And um, Pastor Kevin mentioned a couple weeks ago that he was, had, was going on or had just gone on a silent prayer retreat. And the week after he went, I went to this same uh, prayer retreat. And the idea is to be silent for 48 hours. I don't know how he did it. <laughs> Sorry. Um, at any rate, um, we, 48 hours you're supposed to be silent. And um, I wasn't there to watch him, but I trust he did. So um, no media, right? Uh, no, um, no email, no text, no conversations, no eye contact with anyone. So nothing for these 48 hours. Um, other than the retreat leader, you can look at him, but he only speaks to you for a few minutes a day and then he leaves you on your, loan, on your own to encounter God. He even has you slow your pace down, so you're supposed to walk like this. That probably was also hard for kids. It was hard for me. <laughs> it was really hard for me. And I don't even run marathons. And um, so the idea is just that then you would hear from God. And so after the 48 hours, you break your silence and um, you share a little bit with each other on anything that you want to share about what, how God spoke to you during that time. And after our 48 hours, a young pastor spoke and he shared what happened to him. And he said, first of all, I could not walk that slow. <laughs> He's like, you old people, can do it, but I could not walk that slow. <laughs> and then he said, I was getting so frustrated with God because I wasn't hearing anything. And I just wanted to say to him, will you speak up? <laughs> you know, will you just let me hear you? And so finally, by the second day, he'd been humbled a little bit by this silence and the fact that he wasn't hearing from God. And so as he walked between the retreat center and the dining hall, he just said, Lord, will you help me learn how to hear your voice? And he said it was like nothing he'd ever experienced before, but he got to the middle of the road, a county highway, between those two places, and God just said to him, I will. And he said he knew it was God. It wasn't just some thought in his head. He knew it was God saying to him, if you want me to teach you and you're asking me, I will. And so it was just clear as day for him. But maybe you feel like that young pastor, right? It's hard to hear from God sometimes. You wonder if you're hearing from him. You're waiting and waiting. You're praying and praying, and you don't seem to be hearing from him. So I'm going to make the assumption um, that, uh, that the pastor eventually did, that it's easier for us to learn how to change the way we listen than it is to expect the God of the universe to change the way he speaks to us, right? And so... Um, it, uh, that's what I'd like to do. So I'm going to look with you at a few conversations with God, um, both in scriptures and in my uh, life in ministry. And I want to share with you uh, five principles um, that I think we can apply to our listening so we can hear that still small voice a little more easily. I didn't uh, include notes in your, in your uh, bulletins, but if you'd like a handout, I, you can sign up at my table and I'll send you one. So principle number one is that you can turn up the volume of his voice by turning down the volume of other things in your life or eliminating them for a period of time as we did on a silent prayer retreat. So, and you're gonna find references to this throughout scripture. Job uh, had some in-depth conversations with the Lord, right, when he was going through his trials. And in Job 33, 31 and 33, we read, pay attention, Job, and listen to me. Be silent and I will speak. Be silent and I will teach you wisdom. So it's kind of like the GPS 
instructions in your car. I followed them to get here, right? And if you have your GPS running in your car and you have your radio going at the same time, as soon as the GPS needs to give you some instruction, it automatically turns down the radio. Does anybody have a GPS like that? Yeah? So it just automatically turns down the music so you can hear the voice and hear the directions that they're giving you, right? And if you've gotten off course and they have to say recalculating, <laughs> you may have silent radio for a while while they're recalculating, right? Um, and telling you make a right turn, or as they often tell me, when possible, make a U-turn, <laughs> you know, because you've not been listening to me. <laughs> and so, um, so you can do that same thing in your life, right? And we don't just hear the Lord through our ears. So you can make room in your ears by turning down music, right, and other kind of media around you. You can, we hear God through our eyes, through visuals, so you can hear God by turning down some of the visuals in your life, TV, tablets, whatever you're looking at. Um, God speaks to us through our minds, right? So you can turn down some of the work you're doing so that you have more space in your life to hear from God. And you can turn down your time with other people sometimes and just get away alone like Jesus did, though he was surrounded by crowds and disciples all the time. He would get away, right? So you can turn down your time with other people and make room in your heart. So we can really train our ears to hear him better. I was reading a little bit about hearing aids, and actually hearing aids don't do anything to change your ears. What they do is they modify the sound, and they tone down some of the background sounds, and they raise up some of the soft sounds around you so you can hear voices. And we can do the same thing. We can train our ears to hear from God better if we'll just make space for him. So that's the first thing. The second one is, um, and this is something I learned years ago that's been helpful to me, and that is that there are pathways into God's presence. And we're all created so differently by him. We're each so unique. And so the way we will encounter him and the way we will move into his presence will be different than the person sitting next to us, right? It might not be just a quiet time at 6 a.m. for you. <laughs> you know? That might not be the, the best way that you reach God. And so um, there are different resources out there that you can take a look at. One is a book written by Gary Thomas, and there's some blogs by Kai Alpha and Crew and others to help you identify what, the, what people often identify as the seven or nine pathways to God. And um, you can take a little quiz and identify what's your best way for encountering God, and then you could pursue that more. Or you can look at all those pathways and say, you know what, I want to meet God in a new way, and you can try something new. And so those pathways are things like, are connected with our personalities, right? We're all very differently wired, and so it would make sense that we would have a different relationship with God than the person sitting next to us. And so they, he, the, the uh, writers on this subject talk about activists, like Elijah, right? So he undoubtedly encountered God by fighting for godly causes, right? and worshiping by taking faith risks. That was his way. Then caregivers like Martha, entirely the opposite, right? Martha encountered God by serving and by giving of herself she would worship, right? Then intellectuals like Paul encountered God by studying intensely and, and sharing his knowledge with people. Naturalists who love God the best in the outdoors discover spiritual truths through nature. And you might look at me and think, she doesn't look like that much of an outdoors girl, but I am. <laughs> and so I'm like a naturalist. And yesterday, I walked out of Jean's beautiful cabin and just kind of followed a little path and ended up 
in, let me get this right, I think I have it in my notes, the Chocolay Bayou Nature Preserve. Who knew? But God did, and he loves me, and so he took me to this place. So I was in my favorite place, creation, right? And um, that's where I sense God's presence more quickly than anywhere else, and his voice. And it's as if he was speaking to me, Diane, I created this for you. Do you like it? And, and I would learn things from him there. And the same thing happened to me um, at the retreat. When I got to the retreat, like always, I'm a little spent. <laughs> the retreat leader tells us at the end of these 48 hours, you're gonna be saner than you are for the next year till you come back again. And uh, so I'm often a little spent. And I, I had been working too hard like I often do. So I just ignored all the instruction he gave us in the notes, which he gives you permission to do. And I just walked outdoors into the woods. And the minute I got there, just the minute I got there, I could sense God's presence. And you'll find if you follow your pathway enough to God that that will happen for you as well. And so I was just, I was just, my tears welled up in my eyes at the beauty of it. And then often when God speaks to us, you'll know it's his voice because there may be a little, a little check in it, a little correction for you. Because the Holy Spirit's goal is to make us more like Jesus. And I don't know about you, but I'm not there yet. <laughs> so he's often speaking to us. And so as soon as, as I saw the beauty, I just, I just sensed him saying, Diane, look under your feet. And there was under my feet leaves that were at least this big, maybe bigger, and beautiful under my feet. Not just up in the air for me to look at, but under my feet. And the sense that I had from him was, Diane, I make these things for you every day and you hardly ever notice. You're so busy working that I'm trying to pour my love on you in this way that we have a special connection in, but you hardly ever notice. And it's like he said, look at the size of this leaf. Do you know how long it took my tree to make this for you? <laughs> this enormous tree, you know? And then I walked around, and I mean, of course, on fall, in fall, we're literally trampling on, walking all over and shuffling through mounds and mounds and mounds of things he's made for us. And I was just overwhelmed, you know, by the magnificence of his love, the lavishness of his love, um, and the fact that sometimes his, his love for me, though I so need it, I ignore and so it was a little reminder. So when I got to the Bayou Preserve, <laughs> I was all about it. I was ready to enjoy it. Um, and so grateful that he brought me there. So principle number three <coughs> is that he may not be speaking to you directly, but sometimes you can hear his words for you if you eavesdrop. You think I'm kidding? Look at Isaiah 6, 5, and 8. So Isaiah 6, 5, and 8, you may remember this. This is in the year that King Uzziah died, and Isaiah is there in worship. And we're going to start at verse 5. He says, Woe to me, I cried, I'm ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the king. So he's been in, in worship of the Lord Almighty. And then one, you remember one of the seraphs takes a coal from the altar and flies over and touches his, his lips with them to purify him. And he said, see, this touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. Now here's the eavesdropping. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom will I send? And who will go for us? And I said, here I am, send me. So the Lord wasn't addressing him as Isaiah. Isaiah, I have an assignment for you. I want to send you to my people to be a prophet. No. Isaiah just heard the word of the Lord on something that the Lord needed done and said, I'm available. 
that is a great way <laughs> to connect with the Lord and to hear his voice. And this happened to me um, in a really powerful way on January 15th, 2003. I was uh, working as a vice president of this healthcare system and um, I'd, been, I'd been just sort of sensing an unease with staying there. I didn't know what I was supposed to do. I also had been uh, reading two things in the morning. Uh, one was the daily newspaper, which was part of my job as a, as a vice president of public affairs. Um, and the other uh, was my Bible about God's heart for the, the poor and the lost and the broken and the children and so forth. And um, I just began to sense there was something I needed to do, but I didn't know what. So on January 15th, in the middle of the night, he woke me up. I could not get back to sleep, which was so unusual for me. So I said, sort of like um, uh, Samuel, <laughs> okay, Lord, if this is you, <laughs> I'll get up and I'll listen. And so I did that, and um, he took me to Isaiah 58 verses 10 and 11, and this, I'm sure I'd read this passage before, maybe many times, but it just so riveted me at that point in time. And he said, if you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and the malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness, your night will become like the noonday, the Lord will guide you always, he'll satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land, you'll be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail, your people will rebuild ancient ruins, you'll raise up the age-old foundations, you'll be called repairers of broken walls and restorers of streets with dwellings. And that was so much what Milwaukee needed at that time, just for, for people to spend themselves on behalf of the hungry and meet the needs of the oppressed and restore streets with dwellings to a place that was very broken. And, you know, my name is not, you notice my name is not in that verse. <laughs> he didn't say, hey, Diane, this is what I have for you. I just overheard this conversation between Isaiah and the people of Israel and said, this is so true for the time we live in today, and why not me? I'm available. Send me. Um, and so I just say what he says to others in his word, if you'll read it, you'll find some words that he's speaking to you of things that he would like you to do. So principle number four, we have two more. Pay attention to, the, to the God's favorite things to talk about, the things that he's passionate about. Have you ever had a friend where every time you meet with them, they want to talk about something, you know, their kids or their grandkids or their hobby. It's just the, like they're like a broken record. They love to talk about it. Authors speak about what they write about. If somebody writes a book, you invite them to speak, they're gonna speak about that same subject, right? Um, that's what they're gonna wanna talk about. And um, God wrote 66 books, <laughs> right? All scripture is God-breathed, right? So he wrote 66 books, and this is what he wants to talk about. And if you wanna hear his still, small voice, pay attention for those subjects, and you'll hear it more clearly, right? So I took a look just through scripture a bit, and I found at least seven subjects that he's passionate about. So if you begin hearing God talk about any of these things, tune up that hearing aid a little bit and listen. So the, the seven that I found, and I'm sure you'll find more, but the seven that I found are number one, the Father's love for you. That's what he was telling me in the woods. That's the first thing he wants to talk about, John 3, 16, first, God so loved the world, right, that he gave his only son, that whoever believed in him would be saved. Um, second, he loves to talk about Jesus, right? 
this Messiah who was promised for so many years and then came and gave us this amazing example of a sinless life and then died this sacrificial death for us. If he's talking to you about sin or sacrifice in your life, that's probably the Holy Spirit. That's probably his still small voice. Um, the third thing that I, that I see that he likes to talk with us about is our purpose on life on this earth. Just think of Ephesians 2.10, right? It says, for we're God's workmanship. He's, we were created by this workman, God, right? We're created in Christ Jesus to do good works, specific good works, which have been prepared in advance for us to do. So you're going to find assignments for yourself in here, and you can listen for those. The fourth thing that I see him spending a lot of time talking about is the lost, right? The lost coin that the woman searched high and low and took, tore her whole house up to find. Uh, the lost sheep. The shepherd left all the 99 on, on the, in the pasture and went to look for the lost one. The prodigal son that the father waited for and embraced uh, threw his arms around. So the lost are really important to God. And anytime he's talking about the lost, he may have an assignment for us. The poor and the oppressed. God talks about the poor a lot. In fact, uh, we do some teaching on this, uh, and sometimes we use an orange letter Bible. You might have heard of a red letter Bible that has everything that Jesus has said, right? There's also an orange letter Bible, and they've highlighted in orange all of the passages that have to do with God's heart for the poor and his concern that his people will help the oppressed. People who are oppressed in any kind of way, spiritually, addiction, discrimination, any kind of oppression. Um, and there are actually 400 verses on poverty and 800 verses on justice. So you can find a, God has a lot to say about those things. Number six, I would say, is the kingdom, right? So we're kingdom builders here, right? The kingdom. Jesus um, alone directly uses the term kingdom of God 56 times. So he talks about the kingdom a lot. In Luke 18, 17, he says, Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. That's just one of 56 times in the Gospels alone that you'll hear about the kingdom of God. So that's a topic he likes to talk about. Um, and then the last one is eternity. He likes to talk about eternity. And the fact that this world is not our home, Right? We're, we're vagabonds sort of traveling through this for a period of time, becoming more like Jesus and doing good, the good works he, became, he, be, he uh, created for us to do and giving him glory in the process. Um, but we have, there's another place we're going. So Ephesians 1, 18, 19 is one of many, many passages. And he says, Paul is saying this to the Ephesians, I pray also that the eyes of your hearts may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called us, the riches of his glorious inheritance. So there is a future reward for us. There's an inheritance stored up for us. The Holy Spirit is just a deposit on that, right? So those are some of the things that he wants to talk about. And um, if you listen for those subjects, you'll hear his voice a little more loudly. Um, and then finally, number five, is to become an active listener. If you ever went to counseling and they're trying to help you figure out how to have a better relationship with somebody, they're always telling you, you need to become a more active listener. <laughs> and so um, you, you listen, you ask questions of the person, and you patiently wait for their response. That's essentially active listening. So Job, Job did that. He's in this horrible trial. His life is falling apart. He's in misery. And he asked God a lot of questions, right? 
about why he's there and what, what God is doing, and then God asks him some. So it can go both ways. Gideon asked God questions. So I felt a lot like Gideon when I was called to City on a Hill. Gideon was the littlest guy in the littlest clan uh, of Israel, and he was hiding in a wine press. He was sifting wheat or something inside a wine press because he was so afraid of the Midianites, which were attacking his people. And then the angel of the Lord comes to him and says, Gideon, mighty warrior. He's like, who are you looking at? You're not talking to me. Surely you're not talking to me. I'm the littlest guy in the littlest clan. It can't be me you're talking to. And, um, but of course, the angel of the Lord was talking to him. God loves to use uh, the least likely people, so don't be surprised if the still small voice prompts you to do something that you think you can't possibly do. You're right, you can't. <laughs> but in you, he can. And so he, if you just think about it logically, he gets more glory if the seemingly wrong person does the, the work and it, and it uh, bears fruit than if the person who looks the part um, does it and bears the fruit. So I expected the leader of City on a Hill to be, you know, tall, young man uh, from the black community of Milwaukee, kind of grew up on the streets and then found Christ and got an engineering degree so he could deal with the buildings and, and you know, was a fiery preacher and, and I was none of the above, right? And God calls me instead. So maybe our next leader will look like that, but he likes to get um, us involved in things that are beyond us. And so uh, Gideon did something that we can also do in our relationship with God as we listen for this still small voice, especially if we're newer in the Lord and we're just not sure if it's God we're hearing. And you can, uh, Gideon call, in Gideon's story, they're called fleeces. He would throw a fleece on the ground and say, God, okay, if this is you calling me, I'm really afraid I'm gonna get killed out there. So if this this is you calling me, I want to go to sleep at night and wake up in the morning and that fleece is wet and the ground all around it is dry and wakes up in the morning, the fleece is wet, the ground is dry. He's like, okay, let me try this again. Now I want the fleece to be dry and the ground to be wet, right? And of course, God is so um, willing to help us hear him that he did all those things for for Gideon. He did the same thing for me. I had three fleeces uh, that I threw out that day as well. And so, uh, uh, stories for another day. So I want to end with this. Um, and this is a more recent time that I heard God um, in a very powerful way, and it changed my life. Uh, and so I have some slides to show you here, I believe. Um, so you can see the pictures of what I'm talking about here. And um, so this is a young lady by the name of Princess. Uh, she is one of the girls who've grown up through our program. She came first when she was eight years old and um, had found the Lord at City on a Hill, had also found her voice at City on a Hill. She's an amazing singer. She was on the track team at school, doing well. But most of her life, she spent homeless. So she and her family lived in probably every shelter in the city, uh, slept on any relative or friend's couches they could find, uh, slept in abandoned buildings. Her father, with tears in his eyes one day, told me about the time that they were just so desperate and it was November and it was getting cold and they were in an abandoned building, so the best he could do was get some cardboard to wrap around the four or five of them so that they'd stay warmer. Princess is getting ready for school in the morning at Burger King down the street. You know, I mean, it's rough. And yet she was an honor student on the track team and in the choir.
So just an amazing young lady. So what happened was the summer between her our, um, junior and senior year of high school, as she was off with our group at uh, Spencer Lake Camp for the summer, her family became homeless again. And this time they had a truck at least, but the parents and two brothers were living in a truck. And uh, she got back home and they were planning to leave and go to Gary, Indiana, where they had a, an elderly relative who had a basement that they could stay in. And Princess came to us and she's like, can you guys do anything? Is there anything you can do? I don't want to go there. I, everything will fall apart in my life, and it probably would have. And so uh, we got to work trying to figure something out. Um, but, you know, parents who are struggling are struggling for reasons. And her parents had reasons. Her father um, came back not doing so well after um, serving in a war. He's a veteran. Um, and her mother had been abused as a child and so very uh, sort of fearful and guarded. And mom would not let her stay back in Milwaukee. They would let her stay, but they would not let her stay back in Milwaukee unless we could find a family where there was no man in the house because of her mother's experience. So no father, no brother, no uncle, nobody. And that makes it harder to find a good Christian home for her to stay in for a year, right? And so that's what was going on. And um, I was listening to staff and trying to brainstorm with them and figure this out, but that's as far as it went. And then a Sunday morning that I didn't um, uh, travel, I woke up Sunday morning before I ever got out of bed. This thought just like through my mind, princess should live with you. I'm like, say what? <laughs> a, a moody teenager I'm going to add to my already very full life, a girl who's gone through trauma, I'm sure it's going to be challenging. Are you serious? And so um, I got up and I thought, well, I'll see if this is God. I'll just test it a little bit. So, <laughs> so I, I called my colleague, who Princess was with my colleague Brooke that day. They went to church and they were gonna go out for lunch and shop and whatever just to find something to do to fill the hours while we tried to figure out what to do with her. And um, so I called Brooke and I didn't tell her anything other than, hey, I left some files in the office. Can you stop by and bring my briefcase? So I figured they'd come over. Princess would get there. I'd see whether this were just what God does, right? And so I am, um, and I have a couple more pictures of her. I guess I could run through. You could just see there's one where she's um, singing, and I don't know, is there another one where she's singing maybe? Nope, not back up. So she sings all kinds of places. So I'm making my bed, um, or they call it dressing your bed, actually. Some of you ladies know about this. I'm lucky to make mine. But anyhow, you, like you put all the pillows on, you make it look beautiful. So I have this pile of pillows in the corner that I hadn't used in a long time. And I put them on, and most of them kind of matched. But then there was this one that I almost threw away because I didn't really like it that much, and it didn't match my room at all. Uh, but I threw it up on the bed. And then this is the picture of the pillow. I'm like, oh, well. <laughs> And <laughs> like Gideon, I'm like, well, maybe, but could we turn that fleece over, you know? So I'm like, okay, maybe. Could be just a coincidence. So, um, so <laughs> then, then uh, as you look at this picture, you see that little silver crown up in the top corner of the heart? So they arrive at my door, and Princess is wearing whatever, and around her neck is a little silver chain with, I kid you not, that crown around her neck. I'm like, okay, maybe. <laughs> Maybe. 
<laughs> you know? Sometimes we're a little hard-headed. We don't want to hear, you know? And so I thought, okay, now this might be the clincher, though. I have a dog. I inherited this dog from another family member. I didn't choose the do this dog, I want you to know. But this dog is a 108-pound bull mastiff. And sometimes dogs in the central city can be rough and dangerous, and Princess is, is little. So I thought, oh, she's probably not going to want to be in a house with a dog. Well, the next picture is her about a week or so later with my dog. <laughs> so obviously, <laughs> that didn't work against her. <laughs> so anyhow, so um, we worked with her parents. You can actually get a delegated power of parental authority for 365 days, which is what I got the day of her 17th birthday. She came over. We celebrated with a cake. I told her the story. You can see the next couple slides there. Um, so we celebrated. I gave her a present. And of course, I told her the story. The next slide you'll see, I gave her the pillow. <laughs> and um, so Princess lived with me for a year. It was uh, a challenging and amazing and wonderful year. Uh, challenging because she was a moody teenager <laughs> and she had grown up in rough circumstances and learned to manipulate to get her way. And so I had to unteach her that. Um, but I also had a beautiful year and would go, I, I absorbed more culture in one year than I have in my whole life. And I don't mean African-American culture, I just mean culture in the big sense of culture. Because I heard her, and you're going to see, this is uh, her singing as the lead in the school opera. Um, this is her singing at uh, some kind of special event at a church, the next one. Um, this is her singing on television, the next one. Um, and I think the next one might be her singing. Yep, that one's uh, television as well. And the next one might be her singing in the basilica. She sang an aria in this basilica that would just blow your socks off. I mean, it was, she is amazing. And then, of course, she did all the fun things that a girl does as a senior. She went to the prom with a group of friends of hers, but we got her all dolled up. Um, and then she graduated, and her father made it back for the graduation. So that was a beautiful time. They love their kids. They're just struggling. And um, so then, now she's at college. So this is her moving into her dorm at UW-Madison. She um, got a full set of financial aid and scholarships and work study, so she will graduate from school if she stays on track without a dime of debt. Um, and her princess pillow goes with her everywhere. <laughs> You'll notice next to it a bunny rabbit. <clears throat> that rabbit goes with her too. At one point during the year when she started to let her guard down and talk with me a little bit, she talked about a time where they had been evicted, which means all of your sh the sheriff comes, all of your stuff gets plopped on the, on the curb, they lock the doors, and if you get back in time, you get whatever's left. And so she had lost her teddy bear in that in that move, and they thought it was in somebody's basement and she could never find it. So when Easter came, I waited, because she's a teenager, you know, I waited till Easter, I could give it to her with candy or something that wouldn't seem too mushy. Um, but she, the princess pillow and the bunny rabbit get strapped to her laptop and taken back and forth to college every day she goes. Uh, and of course, she and my dog are buds for life. Uh, so he's a big dog. <laughs> but I now have a friend, a new friend. And so um, she's a young woman now. She's um, a sophomore at UW-Madison. She's on the worship team at Chi Alpha. And she's doing wonderfully. So um, those are some of the things that happen when you listen to God's still small voice.
Um, and I hope those principles help you um, to apply them in crucial, crucial conversations that you have with him. So turn up the volume of his voice by turning down the volume of other things in your life. Find your pathways into God's presence. Eavesdrop. It's the only time eavesdropping is okay. Eavesdrop on conversations with his other children. Uh, listen for his favorite topics to come up in conversation and become an active, listen, active listener by acting, asking him questions. So if you want more, you could ask for a handout at the, at the table. So the reason that these conversations are so crucial is twofold. One, um, they help us know God's love for us, right? Number two, they guide our walk with Christ and help us find our purpose in life. And number three, they affect our eternity. So they're crucial conversations. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are willing to speak to us, that you've created in us in such a way that we, these little feeble human beings, can hear and converse with the God of the universe who created us and everything we can see. Lord, thank you that you made us for relationship with you. I pray, Father, if there's anyone within the sound of my voice here who doesn't yet have that relationship with you, that they would tune their ears to your voice and hear your love for them. And they would be willing to respond. For God so loved the world that he sent Jesus to save us all. And if you're struggling to hear God's voice, you need his direction for a decision you need to make, you're waiting for his answer to a desperate need in prayer, uh, you're just wanting his guidance on where to go next or what to do next, um, I pray, Father, that these principles will help people to learn to listen more clearly to you and to hear more loudly your still small voice because it is still small. <laughs> and you don't shout at us, you don't issue commands, you don't uh, force us in any direction, you just whisper in our ears and wait for us to be attentive and hear. And I pray, Father God, that each day we will learn to do that better because as we do, you will help us to become more and more like Jesus. We ask these things in your mighty name, Lord. Amen.